everybody. Welcome to the Boom Podcast, where we are discussing Black Next Gen Ministry. I am Candice Wayne, your host, and I am here today with two people who I absolutely adore. I've got my boy, Robert Purvey, Robert E. Purvey from the great state of Texas, and also Sean Michael Watkins. Right? You, 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 look, you were in Texas too, Sean. I'm a proud like I, Texan, born yeah, and raised. I'm mm-hmm. an eyeball out. I'm over here in Georgia. God bless you. Still in the Confederacy. You still in the Confederacy with me and Pervy. We got you though. It's good. Yeah, we we trying to make some moves over here in Atlanta. We trying to we trying to make some moves over here. Um, but I'm so glad to have you all here. Um, so we have the Sean. You are the Reverend, soon to be Doctor Sean Watkins, who is the Director of Training at Be the Bridge. And we're going to dive into a little bit more of who you are and your work in this conversation. But before we go there, y'all know, y'all already know. We got to play this game of what? Culture tags. Yes. All right. So if you've never heard of this game before, how culture tags works is I'll put some letters on the screen. And for those of you all listening, I'll say the letters out loud so y'all can have an opportunity to participate too. And Sean and Pervy, I want y'all to try to guess what it is that the tag is, okay? Guess I'm what it about is. to lose all my black points. That the I'm phrase lose is, all of them right here. Don't worry. We got you safe. We got you covered. Okay. <laughs> mm-mm, mm-mm. I got your back. You got it. <laughs> okay. I believe in you, Let's Robert. See. I believe in you. I'm here for more the support. Category. Culture tags for y'all. The category that we have today, we got church. Okay. This would be an easy one. All right. So G, the letters are G K M H. Now this is something that you say when you do something that you Absolutely. probably should look. <laughs> I was like, Sean, you ought to know that one. That's like one of your personal statements. That is a universal black statement. God knows my heart. You trifling, you tripping, you right. lying, <laughs> you just you broke every rule if you have to say right. that as a black person. Yeah, absolutely. Right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. And then what some people will say, now, Sean, I've heard you say this probably a thousand times, and I probably, all I have to do is put the letters up, and I think oh it boy. might, might <laughs> it'll work. The letters are F-I-J, and this is something that you want the the son of our God, our Savior, to do. It's something where you're like, hey. Oh, yeah, um, Sean, come on. Come on. Come on, Sean. I've heard you say this a thousand I you, times. I've heard you say this. You're going to say it 20 you times on this conversation. If, 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 it's bro- if it's broken, what you want them to do? Fix it, Jesus. <laughs> there you go. Candice <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is a disclaimer. She gave the professional seminary. Robert wants you to say, hey, Sean, if it's broke. Yeah, fix yeah. It, you know, Jesus. What, what oh, you want yeah, them to do? He just quick. <laughs> She was talking, I was like, I have no idea. What you want him to do? She's like, I have no idea. I've never said it. Oh, yeah, never mind. Robert's right. Yeah, no, I'll say it all the time. <laughs> all right, last one. Last one. We still, we still in church here. We still in church. The letters are I-G-R-T-C. Now, this is when the preacher is preaching, and the preacher is preaching for a really long time. And then they say this, but then they keep on preaching for like 10 more minutes. And then oh, they girl, say this. Mm-hmm. Come on. What is it? Baptist closed four times. I'm getting ready to close. <laughs> I'm out of here. But before I do, let me ask you a question. I'm sorry. See, y'all excuse me. I'm trying to stop. No, you're not. Right. Sit down. You're not, you're not trying, trying to stop. <laughs> you lying oh, in the man. pulpit. You're not trying. I know. <laughs> That's when it starts feeling good it. to the preacher. That's when it starts feeling good to the preacher. And the preacher's like, hey, listen, there people are with me. So mm-hmm. let me just keep on well, Kim, going. Just tell the truth. Baby. Okay, I got five more minutes. Or oh, hey, I'm gonna take 15 more. Like, don't tell me you about to close. Just tell me you about to take more time. 
That's all I'm saying. So that's so I got funny. to help. You know, I can't help it. So I'm like, right. oh, I'm going to the bathroom. <laughs> but you know what's so funny to me? And one of the reasons why we play this game, culture tags, is because there are just some things that are universally true among you know, all, not all black people are the same. Like we're not trying to pretend like we are the same. We know we're not all the same. But there are just some aspects of black culture, black black colloquialisms that are just transcend and that are just so universally universally true that's why we play this game of, of culture tags yes i mean they they are i mean i i, I love us right I, I i love us i love black church i love what we do um but when it comes to before we jump too deep into the conversation um sean first of all thank you for playing i mean you you were you were great you know you, you were I, I was i was worried before the show but yeah i, I knew you i was too i was too <laughs> but man sean, t tell, tell the audience more about you and, and what you do give us sean who is sean and, and what does he do cool oh uh, yeah absolutely um appreciate y'all you know always a joy and privilege i think to be on here and to be able to just do anything with y'all in any capacity whether it's work life ministry brainstorming about black culture just being ignorant in Atlanta when we get together for conferences and things like that. So always good to see y'all. Um, professional wise, I'm the director of training and strategy at Be The Bridge, which is a faith-based nonprofit uh, that exists to empower people and culture towards racial healing, racial equity, and racial reconciliation. That's the elevator pitch. And so uh, founded by Latasha Morrison, um, New York Times bestselling author, Evangelical mm -hmm. Book of the Year, I think back in 2020. And so uh, I've known Tasha. I met Tasha and Reggie Joyner, uh, same day, same table, same time back in 2016. And uh, she and I just stayed in touch over the years, just kind of kept talking. We ended up being at conferences together. Either we were on panel together or a program or we were speaking in some capacity. And then uh, 2020 rolls around. She wrote her book, Be the Bridge, and it had become uh, hit the New York Times bestsellers list really in response to George Floyd being killed. And she just called me and said, Sean, I need some help. We've got mm -hmm. 70,000 people involved in Be The Bridge. Um, they've got questions around our content. And she's like, your name keeps popping up in terms of just going all these different places and having questions about stuff. And so I think as a woman of color, uh, she's one of the few people of color nationally doing this work. She's even smaller than that. She's a woman of color leading in this work. And so for me, uh, you know, a black woman trying to talk about race and ethnicity in the United States, that was low-hanging fruit. So signed on to be able to help my sister in that. Uh, I oversee our training department, so all of our trainings with organizations, uh, regardless of if they are faith-based, Christian or not, uh, we've worked with record labels, insurance companies, churches, denominations, et cetera, do diversity trainings for them. And then I think probably in church language, uh, the strategy part of my job is to really think through a discipleship uh, arc for mm. folks. Like, how do you move them from someone who knows nothing about race and ethnicity if they're white? to someone who is so cross-culturally competent that you know they're going to build trust with people of color and not break them. If you've got someone who's a person of color, they may know their own cultural background very well, but not know anybody else. They don't know the Native or Indigenous or uh, Latin-A or uh, Asian histories and stories and perspectives. And so how do you grow them to be about this collective liberation and not just about us? Uh, and so that's really kind of the work that I do is helping us think through what types of programs and resources are we creating so that we have a global understanding of what God is doing. Um, so yeah, it's a whole lot of fun. Mm. So that's what I do for work. Um, I think so multicultural. outside it's, of that, it's, it's, um, it's multicultural. Oh, yeah, multicultural. yes. I'm multicultural. 
Like, you're not just light skinned black. You know, you you really. I appreciate that, Robert. Thank you so yeah. much. We'll be right back. Uh, <laughs> racial reconciliation amongst black people only when hey, we return. Sean, Col- Colorism, Colorism is a thing in the black Colorism. community. We've been recording for all for of that. five minutes, just... and Robert's already kicked me out of Wakanda. Thank you so much, everyone. We'll be no, here you're Thank in you so Wakanda, much. just on the east side with all the light skins. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. You're in Wakanda. You are part of the family. No, I saw both now. Come on, man. There's one last You're on black the east side. Wakanda. Candace no. on the west side. I'm on the south with the darks. Yes, yes. No, I ain't, they ain't letting me in. I'm, I'm on the mocha. outside, knocking on the force field. She's on the west side. She's more mocha. <laughs> <laughs> listen, you, know, you just listen now, Sean. You just cut your hair, so you you, you mm-hmm. probably can't pass. You can't pass when your hair is when your hair is long. You can't pass when your Candace, hair is shorty. You live in Atlanta. Robert knows this. Uh, we are in Texas. It is set on hell outside. It's a hundred yeah. degrees outside. I was like, this hair ain't gonna make it. It's got to go. So I love it, but it gets cut off every summer. Uh uh-uh. uh. Now I um bachelor's in African American studies and history. I got my MDiv uh, from Fuller. I'm working on my PhD now, uh, and really kind of looking at Black culture, faith, and ethics. So what I always say mm-hmm. on paper, I think what uh, maybe we were talking about before. I think really what got me in this work, and y'all both know this. Um, dad's a lawyer, um, was a partner in his own law firm. Mom is a teacher with a master's degree, and so I had the the upper middle class Black parents. You know, uh, mm-hmm. married and lived in the suburbs, but. They made unwise choices and got a divorce and we moved out of the suburbs and moved back into the hood with my grandmother and dad's been an alcoholic never been in recovery um it's actually part of the reason why my parents divorced and my mom was really sad after they got divorced and so she started a drug addiction that really began when i was five and ended when i was 30 and i just hit 40 mm-hmm. last year and so i had these two black parents with upper middle class family values but the context in which those got lived out was the hood so you know, you mm-hmm. grew up in a place to where you stop at every red light, you stop at stop signs and look in both directions. And then you go to Third Ward in Houston where uh, you get robbed if you stop at some stop signs and some lights. Like everybody literally. runs this light. Like that's I had you yeah, literally. That's literal. That's literal. <laughs> right. And so I realized the rules were different. Um, and yeah. so that for me was kind of the beginning of this whole conversation around culture, about like we were talking about before, different kinds of black, different types of cultures. It's like, oh, the rules are different depending on the context we're in. And I just, in a good way, I've never recovered from that. I've been fascinated by that. So, yeah. Mm, that's so interesting. You know, and, and, and it's interesting that you shifted into the, and and I and it seems like that piece of your story is a huge piece of the why behind yeah. what it is that you do through Be The Bridge and through your PhD, PhD studies. And, you know, I know that this is this is nothing that's, that's novel to any of us, you know, right, right. This month in our Facebook group, we're leaning into mission, talking about the, the, the what it is that we do, you know, but I think it's so much more important to lean into the, the why of what we do, because when we lean into the why of what we do, then the what just looks completely different. You know, Absolutely. when we when we really, really um, have a passionate, passionate why behind it then then the way that we're able to wake up and navigate the way that we're able to talk to people the way that we're able to just engage the entire conversation and the energy that we feel when we do it you know um it just yeah. it just feels a little bit different when our why is deeply embedded in something that's a bit more personal you know so for for me i know um something that really stuck out that you said talking about the rules being different right now I think that you know, from from serving in the different capacities in which that I that I've served um, in different churches and and 
doing some of the work and being a part of some of the things that I've, that I've been a part of, um, the rules are different too, you know? And I think that there are certain things that we believe to be just the norm of ministry, right? Or best practices of ministry that aren't necessarily always translatable. They don't necessarily um, shift well from one context to the next, which is kind of leaning into the reason why, you know, Boone is exist, you know, yeah. the reason for that, for us to be able to lean on, on each other within the black community in a greater kind of way. There's, there's a buddy of mine, um, a friend of mine that used to serve in a church down the street from me when I lived in South Florida. He's ordained in the AME church. I am too. Um, we were both serving in youth ministry at the same time. And we don't really talk a whole lot now, but it's not abnormal for us to be, you know, be in conversation for us to connect because we're still, you know, connected in ministry together. Um, but he's in Maryland and I'm in Atlanta and it's occasionally he'll send, he'll close out his text messages with just hashtag same team. And every time I see that, what it does for me, it just makes me feel like I have somebody. And it makes me feel like I'm not by myself out here trying to save the world and save the future of, yeah. of all of these children and youth. You know, it makes me really feel like there's somebody who's rooting for me. And through, you know, through through Boone, I feel like what it is that we're working to do is unite people and, and allow that same team to still carry out through, regardless of whether some person is in Texas and someone else is in Georgia, regardless of our denominations, regardless of whether somebody serves in kids ministry and somebody else serves in youth ministry or somebody else has the whole grade level cover. I mean, it's important for us to know each other and it's important for us to be in community and it's important for us to, to really just operate as if we're on the same team, you know, and that's what this episode is about, you know, and that's one of the reasons why we brought um, brought you, Sean, to be on, a guest on this conversation, because the way that that community looks within not just the black church, but within black culture, you know, is we have a deep history of community and we have a deep culture of being together and being and being united. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. There's a, I always kind of go back to a book that really shaped my thinking. It's by a black guy named Eugene Robinson, and it's called Disintegration, the Splintering of Black America. Mm -hmm. And he said 70 years ago to be black in America just meant you were the descendant of slaves. Like that was it. If you said black back in the 50s, 60s and 70s, it was understood. Everybody knew that. But today it means uh, four different things. And he uses an acronym, which I actually use as team. Uh, whenever I teach it. So the first group he says is transcendent. Uh, those are black folks that have so much money that it transcends race. So Oprah, Jay-Z, mm -hmm. Beyonce, any of them, they got Scrooge McDuck money, money to swim in, right? This is <laughs> your racial things are not going to affect their lives. The next one's emerging. And that's our biracial brothers and sisters, folks mixed with black and fill in the blank, black and Asian, black and Latinx, uh, black and white, black and indigenous, et cetera. It's also our African brothers and sisters. You know, we've got folks from South Africa, from Kenya, from Nigeria. We know there are no black folks in Africa, right? They are told they're black when they come to the United States. And mm -hmm. so those folks are labeled in as black as well, too. You've got abandoned is that next group. And if you think about probably Hurricane Katrina, right? And we saw the dire poverty yeah. that was in New Orleans when all this stuff happened. And a lot of Americans were like, clutch the pearls. We had no idea this level of poverty was going on in the country. And we were like, well, they went you've to Mardi never Gras been to the hood. Every year. Okay. <laughs> like, this is normal, right? And then the last one is mainstream. So those are Black folks um, 
you know, married, got the house, the picket fence, the two cars and the dogs, they're doing all right. But if one or both lose their jobs, if they don't get another job in a year or two, they're going to be back in the hood because we don't have generational wealth. And so those Uh four groups make up what it means to be black. Now, externally, all of those folks are called black, right? Mm. I think once you step inside the black culture and black community, whether you got two black parents or not, whether you know how to play spades or dominoes or not, whether or not you know how to fry fish or not, we may take some cool points from you. You may lose some black points, but you're not going to be vetoed. We're not going to kick you out of the kingdom. <laughs> right. Like, you know, and so we've always had this idea of, I think, what does it mean for us to be a community, to be a collection of people? We've always been about collective liberation. It's been one of those staunch values that I think black folks have always had since they got kidnapped and they were brought over as enslaved peoples. They were from different tribes and different languages. We didn't have time to figure out what differences we were and how to stay divided. We had mm-hmm. a common struggle. And uh, Marcus Garvey, I think, said it best, you know, when all else fails to unite the people, conditions will. And that's mm. what's always been true for Black folks. We've always had a same common struggle, and it's had us unified uh, for as long as we've been in America. Mm. Yeah, so so with that, and I mean, I don't, I got to ask it. How, how do we see that play out in, in the church? Like, I, I know, like, you talked about the different... Uh, layers of it, right? How how do we see that play out in the black church? That is a very layered question. Yeah, uh, I, I, I had to I had to pick your brain on that because of what you said about team and and what they represent is is very mm-hmm. very real. But I think it's also real in the church sense, right? So if we're talking yeah. about uh, being on the same team, if we're talking about uh, moving forward together, I think we have to look at how that even flows down to the church on how we're different tribes, even in the black church and how, so how do we get tribes together with that common struggle to move Mm. the needle for all of us? Uh, So I, man, I think about it in three ways. I think about uh, preparation, the pastor, and then the people. Y'all know I grew up Baptist, Mm -hmm. so I like illustration. (laughs) Preparation (laughs) Preparation is seminary, right? And uh, these seminaries, they're not, they're not, they're not graduating pastors who are prepared to pastor, Mm. right? Like that's our running joke. Like they can, uh, Mm. we can talk about substantiation, propitiation, atonement, ransom, uh, soteriology, all these ologies and theologies. But if a white cop shoots an unarmed black person, they have not prepared anybody in seminary to deal with that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think you've got these pastors that are graduating, to be honest. And, you know, I got one degree from Fuller. I'm working on a second. I'm an adjunct professor at Gordon-Conwell. And so, like, looking at these different seminaries, they are graduating folks that know how to pastor white people. They can intellectualize the gospel, but they can't, like, live it out practically, which is Mm -hmm. why you see all this foolishness happening in the country right now. So I think the seminaries need to be able to change. I think the pastors, to your point, especially folks who are pastoring black churches, see that diversity in their congregations. We got all four of those groups. You've got some very affluent black people that are coming to your church. They're probably tied the most in keeping the lights on. Mm-hmm. You've got some uh, folks that are biracial or they're in interracial marriages that are in your church. And you got to figure out, how do I pass to these people? How do I say these things? How am I still true to my blackness and the blackness of this church? But I also need to acknowledge there's a white wife sitting there. There's a Mexican husband mm-hmm. sitting there. They mm-hmm. love their families just the same. How do I still honor them? and still make sure this is a black church. We've got folks from Nigeria and Kenya that have a completely different philosophy. My friend Jovan's from Ghana. And so whenever we talk about, I want you to think about home for a moment. I think about Houston, right? Robert may think about Dallas. 
Candace may think about either Atlanta or Florida. We're not sure. We when I talk to somebody from Houston, Ghana, Sean, we're, we're both from Houston. We both think. About I know. Houston. I keep forgetting. My fault. Third. No, and I think about right. I think about DC, Maryland, not Florida too. So, but we'll Ooh, we'll let that yes. analogy go. We'll you will keep it moving. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's still it's still <laughs> chocolate. It still counts. My parent, my parent is <laughs> Joven is from Ghana, and when yeah. I say think about home, Joven does not think about Texas. She thinks yeah. about Ghana. And yeah. so you yeah. got those folks in your congregation. So I think for pastor, black pastors especially, we know how to be communal. We know how to look out into the congregation and say, okay, there's somebody that I didn't hit with my sermon. There's somebody that I missed. I'm going to go talk to them. Tell me your story because I want to make sure I don't do that. I want to make sure you feel included. So I think black pastors are not prepared for it in seminary, but we know how to do it organically. Like that's just a part of who we are as a culture. And then the last thing, that other one is the people. Man, we ain't got a choice. Mm. Uh, Earth is ghetto. We all want to leave. America is tripping right now. Good night. Yeah. I thought I was going to be in my 70s and 80s before. I was like, you know, back in my day, I'm 40. I'm already saying that these people have lost their minds. And so right. I think as a consequence, the church, the black church especially, you don't have a choice. You have to embrace the diversity that is inside of blackness. We have got to think about how to reach this next generation of people. Because if we don't, we're going to lose them. So I think mm. with respect to the church, like we don't have a choice as a congregation. If you want these folks coming, you have to address these issues. You have to be able to engage with them and meet them where they are, because otherwise they're going someplace else or they're not going at all. That, that hmm. part. That yeah, part. and, and that, that that's so real, because I, I think, you know, that there's such a huge, rich history with within the black church, you know, just a huge, rich history, huge culture that I know I experienced, you know, and yeah. and you know, and, and I want my my kids to grow up having experience to be able to play some of these games like culture tags, right? Mm -hmm. And be able to be able to connect with and, and understand. And the way that we do that, you know, they, they say that that whole piece of, um, I don't know if this throws us off too, off topic too much. If it does, oh, well, it's just us, right? Friends having a conversation. Um, <laughs> but you know how they say that when when white people get a cold, the black, pe black people get the flu, right? Mm -hmm. And just looking at what has happened within black churches now this is not universally true for all black churches but mm -hmm. coming out of COVID, there's a lot of churches period that are struggling period but there's a lot of mm -hmm. black churches that are really 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 struggling and yeah. the importance for us like sean i said you got in your boom same team shirt one of the huge pieces of reasons why we need to be connected and united is because we we, we need each other yeah. You know, we 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 if we really want the future of the black church to to continue the black church to thrive within the future, then we're going to have to lean on each other, and we're going to have to lean on each other in a way that we probably have never really leaned on each other because what's at stake is is one not just the black church, but also what's at stake is is the the faith of an entire generation. You know, mm -hmm. not to say they can't go somewhere else and still receive it. But if we, if the churches are still going to be existing and there's going to be, you know, kids here or there who are part of them, we need to be able to help to, to, to train them properly. We need to be able to disciple them so that, that they can grow up understanding who God is and who Jesus is and, and, and how and Jesus' love for all of us, all people, especially if, oh my gosh, I feel myself going on a tangent. I'm going to pull myself back. But especially if what, we're see, what they're seeing is the things that they're seeing in the world. 
right? Mm -hmm. If they see the things that they're seeing in the world and, and it's raising some of the questions, I'm not going to go into some of the conversations that I had with, with my kids because I just, I don't believe, I'm not one of the preachers that push their kids out there like that. But I know, I've seen firsthand how my kids have been, my kids six and nine years old have been impacted by the things that they see out there. And if you're experiencing all of that in the world, you need a place to understand that you were made in the image of God, right? Mm -hmm. And that is a beautiful thing. The way that God made you is not a mistake. You know, um, I'm going to stop, but I could keep on. But no, nah, it's, it's like, it, but it has to be, I think, and this past week, I hosted an event here in Texas, and it's something that really brought some attention to when it comes to Black leaders and next gen. Like, it goes back to what Sean talked about, uh, the seminary piece. To me, it's the training piece. We have to train our leaders how to be biblically correct, but also to be culturally relevant, right? We have a lot mm -hmm. of people that work in our churches that are just there to help, but they don't mm -hmm. have enough intellect or insight to actually push the people forward. So I have mm -hmm. kids, I had kids attend this conference from all over the state of Texas, and it was yeah. a lot of their first time ever engaging in something that enlightening about their faith, not yep. church, learning about mm -hmm. who Jesus was and the authenticity of the Bible, because a lot of times our churches don't give in-depth teaching or knowledge to our kids because we're always looking to do something fun. We, we, mm -hmm. we want them to have fun. We think the fun stuff keeps them coming. And that's, that's, that's church universal, but the black yeah. church, like we think we got to have, yo, if I go to another black church and you have a rapper on stage talking about Jesus is better than dope. Like I'm, like, Bro, I'm walking out. I get up and walk out. I'm walking I walk out. out. I do. I'm walking I do. out. Like, like, <laughs> stop trying to force what culture looks like on the yeah. church. And we need more mm -hmm. leaders to unite and come together and see what what does our community need. Maybe we need less mm -hmm. church services and more community service. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, maybe mm -hmm. that's what unification looks like. Uh, but mm -hmm. like Sean, and I mean, I know we're, I want you to jump in here, Kado. You being with being the bridge, you see it a lot. What is, why are we so, as, as what in your studies, in your um, traveling and speaking and people from all over the country, what is our, what is our black church? What is mm -hmm. our hesitation for uniting? Like, like why is it so hard for us? Because you, you know how it is. We grew up in the same city. So, you know, I can't speak for no other state, no other city, but for our city <laughs> in third ward, there's AME, there's Baptist, there's Kojic churches. Mm -hmm. All within one between South Park, Sunnyside, and Third Ward, at least a hundred churches, Every at least a hundred, mm -hmm. maybe even more. All four corners, all four Come corners. On. And, and, that, and I'm talking about those are black parts of the city. Mm -hmm. And it's, so, so, but why are we hesitant to come together? Because it's not just black Methodist kids. It's not just mm -hmm. Baptist Baptist kids or Kojic kids or like it's it's all of us. So why are we so hesitant to unite? Man, what I you think about that? That's a great question. Uh, it's a couple things come to mind. I think one, obviously, again, I'm going back to the seminaries. I love throwing them under the bus uh, just because <laughs> they, you know, look, if you build it, they will come. They have built a lot of foolishness around here. And so I think part of it is that like these seminaries, and again, I'm 40, so I can't speak to what happened before I got here, but I got some ideas. I think that old generation, like King's generation, Medgar Evers and all of them from the civil rights movement, if you got to go to seminary, which a lot of them didn't, but the black church, it was a place where we had everything that we needed. Our families were together. Our leaders were in one spot. Our resources were collected. They were together. Um, 
And my friend Craven talks about it here in Austin a lot too. Something happened when segregation ended. Mm. Uh, once it ended, the folks who had the degrees and had the money left. Come on, And man. it became an economic issue. We were all together in the hood when we were segregated. So mm -hmm. black folks, rich white folks, intelligent, educated, or otherwise. We were all together. But because we were all together, grandmama was raising everybody's kids on the block. Uh, that black doctor that didn't have any white patients had black patients in the neighborhood entirely. Pastors, mm -hmm. the exact same thing. They had everyone that was there. Well, segregation ended. Everybody left. These folks started going to seminary. And they didn't necessarily teach you how to pastor in seminary. They taught you how to run a business. They taught you how to get more members into your congregation, how to fundraise and how to get more dollars coming in. So they don't know how to pastor folks. Uh, there's one gentleman who shall remain nameless that um, applied to be a professor at Fuller. And it was in the midst of kind of all of their foolishness that was going on. I got asked to be on two hiring committees to help Fuller uh, hire two black faculty. And again, brother shall remain nameless because he didn't get the job. But something he said stayed with me. Uh, mm. He was teaching. Um, at a seminary and i was like dude how'd you get involved like in the work that you an older black guy and he said he got his uh m he said he got his bachelor's in black christian studies in the 80s he got his mdiv back then and he said he was working on his phd uh in seminary to be a professor and again late 80s white cop shot and killed his cousin unarmed black guy in la uh in oakland actually uh in the 80s and he said i went home i had two degrees i was working on my third and he said, my family was sitting there crying and there was nothing that I could say to console them. Mm. I had all this seminary experience. I had all this theological mm. experience. I've been writing all of these papers. There was nothing that I could think of to help my black family in that moment of crisis understand what God was doing or why God would allow this to happen. And he said, mm. in that moment, I realized I was being educated outside of my context. Ooh. And I think for a lot of these black pastors, too many of them have been educated outside of the context. Come on, how man. many black pastors do we know that are like drinking the Kool-Aid? I mean, yes, love Hill Song, love the soteriology. The, and I'm not saying any of those things are wrong, but uh, like I'll tell you when I was in seminary once. So like we were sitting there and um they were talking about I'm gonna go heady on purpose. They were like, Jesus' death <laughs> on the cross. Is it substitutionary? Is it atonement? Is it ransom? Is it propitiary? And it's like all these different things. Man, look here. Candace, I took off my glasses and I stared out the window like I was on the cover of a 90s R&B boys men uh, CD cover. Like I was gone. Like I checked out entirely. And my professor, he was like, Sean, this is a riveting conversation. Don't you care? And I was like, uh, can I be honest? Yeah, I was like, no, I don't oh, care at all. Lord, Lord. I, did Jesus pay it I'm all? I'm nervous with your honesty now. I was, like, I was like, did Jesus pay it all? I don't care if he paid it cash, check, credit card, electronic funds transfer. Like, nobody cares. I got single parents in my church. They want to yeah. know God loves them. God loves their kids. God's got a purpose for both their lives. She don't care how Jesus died. And you don't know. You guess it. I'm not going to sit up here mm -hmm. and do this. And so yeah. I think for a lot of these Black pastors, they have been taught that this is what it is to understand God. You have to intellectualize God. Mm. And for black folks, it's not like, how can I think about God? With black folks, it's like, can this be lived? If I listen to your sermon, is Bay still gonna cuss me out when we get in the park in the car? <laughs> like, is this gonna help me love my my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my spouse, my boo, my kids, myself? It's gonna help me love God. But if it's not doing that, I don't want to hear it. And so I think a lot of these black pastors, they're starting to come back to that they're starting to realize like, oh, if I'm not preaching a whole gospel that meets people where they are, then it doesn't count, it doesn't matter. Like Candace was saying, uh, 
I say it too, like it's 2023, right? If we take somebody who's 22 years old, they were born the same year 9-11. They were born in 2001. Yeah. They've seen yeah. Barack Obama and Trump both get elected. They've seen Me Too, BLM, DACA, uh, anti-Asian hate, not to mention all of these school shootings. Like the stuff that we're supposed to see once in a generation, they've seen everything in the last 22 years. And they yeah. have zero tolerance, zero patience for this foolishness. And so I think we've got to preach a gospel. We've got to see a Jesus that does not have soft hands. He's got the hands of a carpenter. He was in them streets. He was working. Uh, he had cross-cultural conflict. He was rolling with 12 dudes, and one of them was packing a knife, even though Jesus could do all kinds of stuff. Like You have to humanize them and say, what you're going through in life, they went through too. I think when you mm -hmm. pastor and you minister that way, then that works. And too many of these pastors came in saying, I want to be great. I want to like write books. And I want my name on the building. Mm -hmm. They came in as individuals. And now to Robert's point, they're realizing, oh, no, wait, we need each other. There's a collective struggle. Nobody cares uh, how big your church is. Nobody cares how many members you got. If you're not actually helping people, they're not going to keep coming. And your influence, I think, and your ministry is going to decrease as a responsibility, as a part of that, too. It's not about numbers. It's about helping people. Yes. Yeah, so, we gotta, we're trying to get back to that. So, I mean, you you opened up a can of worms and, and I have to <laughs> pour them out a little bit because because here's what I see uh, with us. And I this is mm -hmm. why I love Boone. All right. Because we get to talk about us. and Y'all know how it is. Uh, we're family. We can talk about each other. Nobody else better. Right. You know, absolutely. You know, <laughs> so so when it comes to that, I, we see in our black churches with what you said, um, we have we a lot of our smaller black churches look to get help from white churches mm -hmm. because our larger black churches aren't giving back to our smaller black churches. Mm -hmm. So there's an idea that I have to become like a white church or I have to have yeah. worship like a white church or get training from a, a white institution so mm -hmm. I can grow my church financially and grow my church with people. Right. Because a lot Absolutely. of the churches who have done well, uh, the pastors have gotten to the point to where, OK, we have too many people to worry about. We can't mm -hmm. give back to our smaller brothers and sisters. Right. Mm -hmm. And and so you bring up a very good point that we have to get past the point is, is how we began uh, this mini conversation. Like it's not just a denominational issue. Mm -hmm. Like, like it, it's a it's a black issue. And if we're going to get better as a people and as as Christians. Right. We have to start helping each other. And, mm -hmm. and, and, it, and whether you, um, you know, whether you dip them in the water or whether you sprinkle it <laughs> on their face or whether you wash mm -hmm. feet or whether you don't, it doesn't matter how, how, what your religion practices are. Like, it's like you said, I don't care if Jesus paid for it, debit, credit, <laughs> cash saver, you know, EBT don't matter. Like, like <laughs> he paid it all. So if mm -hmm. he paid it all for us all, we got to work together. Yeah. Yeah. I think the. Robert, to your point, and both, I think both them approaches is wrong, that uh, are wrong. Excuse me, I'm tired. It's Friday. My body slipped in. <laughs> so for the white pastors, right, they're like, oh, God, we've got to, like, do missions. We've got to go into the inner city. And so, like, they'll go find a poor black church and cut a check. It's like, oh, thank yeah. God. I've, like, I've, I've done the hard work of racial reconciliation. Anybody can write a check. Have you, like, actually done the work? Like, can you submit right. to a person of color mm -hmm. leadership over you? Okay, now Ooh. you're doing something. Like I think it. for black churches, like the the bigger black churches, right? Like they're not trying to hire, they're not trying to like support us. They're trying to hire us. Mm. And so a smaller black church, 
like didn't partner with a large black church because that pastor is what he's poaching members. Yep. He's trying to like, oh man, y'all should just close and fold in. He wants your worship pastor. He's yep. going after you. Like it's all of those things. And so it's it's that crash wow. and the barrel mentality. You're right. So I think both approaches are wrong, man. It's like yeah. I how can you look at that church and say, look, that brother's or that sister's got a small church, it's a hundred people, but those hundred people, they don't want to go to your three thousand member church. Right. Like there's some things you can't do wholesale. They want to walk in and everybody knows who they are, they know everybody there. They want that. They don't want to go to a concert every Sunday. It's different strokes for different folks, and that's cool. Uh, but we don't do that. And so the only place that we can go or turn to are the white folks. And they're like, because I wrote a check, I've solved the race problem. Or, hey, we really want to like be a diverse church. I'm actually going to support you for a year. But then at some point, I'm going to have a conversation that says, why don't y'all fold and come join our congregation as well? Because we want to be multi-ethnic. <laughs> which is a nice way of saying, y'all come, you're not going to see any reflections of your culture on stage, right. but we actually want to look out and see some Black people in the audience because we've got the true gospel. Last thing I'm going to say, because this is my soapbox and I'm going to shut up. This is my other <laughs> issue with the seminaries as well, too. When people go to seminary, I was just like, like this. Wait, pause, yeah. pause. Everything that he is saying is not does not include Emory University's Candler School of Theology. Now proceed. We're I, covering I, Candler here, okay? I love me some Candler. Uh, Oh, I yeah, no, I wouldn't know. I, I named the two. I'm throwing under the bus. Messing. The one I'm paying and the one that pays me. I was like, everybody else, get in where you fit in. I ain't touching them. Um, I think for these seminaries as well, too, like it's like when someone, oh, oh, yeah, all the ethnic groups, when they go to seminary, they all go back to their own context and communities. Most of them. Mm -hmm. Asian pastors go back to Asian context, whether they're Japanese, Taiwanese, Filipino, whatever. Same thing goes for indigenous brothers and sisters. The strange thing happens when black people go to seminary. We go in loving the black, and this is, you know, it's a generalization, but we go in loving the black church, loving our history, loving our worship, loving how we preach and teach and all that. And we graduate from these seminaries and we're like, oh man, like I wasn't taught proper theology. That's what I learned mm -hmm. in seminary. Like the seminaries taught me like I didn't have a, a, an understanding of a good Christology. And so they leave thinking that there's something wrong with the black church and they only want to go work in white churches. Wow. And then like, that needs this shift, right? What is it about getting a seminary education that makes you reject your own people and your own culture? I think a proper, and that's not all seminaries, but it's too many of them, right? A good seminary education should show you black folks have always been on the same team. Our theology is in our worship. Our theology is in our oral traditions. It's in the call and response. We've always been on the same team. You need to have the decoder ring to understand that. We understand that as marginalized peoples and as people of color and black folks, especially white folks haven't. And so what does it mean for us, again, to make sure that we're getting the tools that we need to pastor in this generation? We have a next generation, again, that's coming up on the scene now with a lot of issues and they are looking at us. And if we're able to solve social issues, they're like, cool, this is a congregation I want to be a part of. If we're not able to solve those and not able to speak to them, there's a revolving door. I think this generation, they just have zero tolerance and zero patience for soft answers. We got real issues and they want real solutions. And when you offer them, that's hope. And when you don't, they're like, I'm out. I want something else. Mm -hmm. and, and the reason why that, that, that that's so important is because, you know, ev everything isn't for everybody, right? I mean, every, every church is not going to appeal to everybody. Every organization you know, that creates faith-based resources is not going to appeal to everybody because we're, we are a diverse people. You know, um, there was someone 
on our team who on our, our boon team who asked us earlier asked us earlier as we were preparing for this conversation saying you know same team is same team just for black people and the truth of the matter is you know when when initially thinking about it yeah <laughs> like Purby's nodding his head for those of y'all listening um so so the reality is when 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 you know God first plans to hey use that same team language for for boon you know, yeah, of course I'm thinking about my people, right? I'm rooting for everybody black, right? Issa Rae mm-hmm. said it best, right? Yes, I am. <laughs> Come on, Issa Rae, yeah. <laughs> she said it best, you know. Um, but the reality is, if we are kingdom-minded, you know, yeah. if we're kingdom-minded and we're all going after the kingdom, then we're all on the same team. You know, whether you're 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 white, whether you're, you're black, whether you're Asian, whether you're Pacific Islander, whether you're Hispanic, you know, whether you're Latino. I mean, regardless, I think it's, it's one of those things where if we're all going after the same mission, then why not operate as if we're on the same team? Because the truth of the matter is race is one variable that has divided us for way too long. And we've created these communities amongst ourselves because we've had to, because of the different ways that people have othered other people, right? So yeah, same team is for is for us. But the truth of the matter is if we're all kingdom-minded and we're all going after the 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 mission and the Great Commission, then it's it's for everybody because we're all heading in the same in the same direction. Now I know Purby you might not agree with me. You know, I know <laughs> you might not agree with me. But I but I do think that it's it's one of those things like you were saying, Sean, you know, like People, these, these these big white churches are looking to, to hire black people because we are in the age of everybody's trying to diversify, right? Everybody's trying to. Go. to... I said, you better not go. You better, you better not go. You better not. Why do you say that though? Tell us to unpack that. Because I, I, and if you know me, you, you know this about me. I'm about building bridges. I uh-huh. believe that, yes, we all should be kingdom minded, but I believe that the bridge is built better coming from your context and it is going into their context because then you get whitewashed right and then you look, you're looked at as aggressive you're looked at as 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 really we don't care about that like it's kind of like it's our way or no way and then you you almost i mean it's, it's boom all right you lose your black card it's, it's like because you you, 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 you like like every per- black person that i've known that's left the black church and worked for a white church they, they said, oh, I wish they could pay me more because I'll lead this white church. But look, so check this out. When I when I was, before I left, we don't get personal, right? Before I left, I was serving at a black church. I've always served only at black churches. When Orange first reached out to me about the job opportunity that I currently have. Now, for those, those of you who don't know Orange, Orange is a predominantly white organization that's doing some major work within the, you know, um, the diverse, diversity space and and but I was the second black person that they hired. Right. I've been at Orange for four years and I've seen it evolve a lot in those four years, though. There's still a long way to go. I've seen it evolve, evolve a lot. Right. I was so hesitant to engage in a conversation about a job there because I didn't want people to look at me and think that I didn't understand black culture. I didn't understand black church. They, they people will look at you and they'll see that you'll work at a predominantly white place or you're connected to a predominantly white organization or church or something. And they automatically forget, hey, I went to FAMU. 
I grew up in DC. I grew up in PG County. I live in Atlanta and I don't live in, in gentrified Atlanta. I live in the part of Atlanta that ain't been gentrified yet. We just starting to get people running down the street with no shirts on, okay? Yeah, I'm guilty. I thought that about you when I first met you. I thought that about you when I first met you. When I first met you, I'm like, here we go, another Oreo. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't. Uh, and I'll tell you why. I didn't, oh, because, I, didn't. <laughs> I didn't because Candace had the spirit of Keisha. She had the spirit of Keisha. Robert, when I first met Candace, she was, I was like, oh, Orange is hiding another black person. Uh, I didn't even have time to ask those questions because you're right. Those are the questions you ask. It's like, what are you doing in this space? Like, why are you here? But Candace was in the back of the room with her arms folded and rocks in her jaws. And she was mad at everything that was being said from her front. I was Nope, never mind. She gets it. Never mind. She is hot <laughs> as fish grease. <laughs> I, met her when, I met her when she was oh, a the code switcher. thing. Yeah. <laughs> I met her during a code switch moment. And, but, so so I, the, uh, and that's the thing. That's the uh, thing. And you have to be able to navigate certain spaces. And I feel like one of the things I love about me being here on, on and doing this work on Boone is I can be me. I can say mm -hmm. what I want, you know what I mean? Like in no way does anything that I say reflect the organization from which I work. You know, the, the values, you know, the principle of principles i feel like you know we pretty much align but there's a certain different candidate that has to show up when i enter mm -hmm. those spaces and a certain candidate has the, the, the candidate that has to show up is important because people need to hear me and mm -hmm. everybody can't hear you when you're talking a certain kind of way you got to be able to, to to speak in a language and i think we talked about this on one of these episodes you got to be able to speak in a language that people can't hear you so mm -hmm. if you get me in a conversation one-on-one -on -one, oh you'll see me Right. But if you see me on a stage, you're not always going to see that. Right. So, so Boone in, in the need for Boone to be able to provide community so that people can be their authentic selves. Right. Yeah. So that they can go into a place where they are learning about children's ministry, youth ministry, next year ministry, whatever you want to call it. Right. And be able to bring your authentic self, your authentic struggles, your authentic successes, because our successes look different. Our struggles look different. You know, our experiences look different. When we can be able to be bringing that authentic self into uh, the space and not have to really do that code switching, that's why Boone is important. That's why community is so important. That's why it's so important for us to come together, because the only way for us to really, really thrive is if we're able to really bring our authentic selves right our fake self mm -hmm. it ain't gonna it, you know, I mean it, it ain't gonna do nothing for to, to move the needle to move the dial anywhere so yeah. i think you and bring up a too, very I, good point go ahead sean go ahead no go i was ahead. gonna say like uh because um like we're both like we're all like laughing and talking and in the chat we're like playing devil's advocate with each other too so just so folks know it's kind of listening and i think it brings up like the the whole like topic and thing that we're talking about right of being on the same team like when you look in scripture it's like, do you want to, we see these images of like an Esther or a Nehemiah, right? Somebody that's working in the empire uh, that's got power, right? Esther's a queen, Nehemiah's a cupbearer to the king. They've got position, they've got influence, they've got access to resources. If Nehemiah's not the cupbearer, they don't rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. If Esther is not the queen, uh, the Jews don't survive from Haman and all that foolishness, right? So you've got to have folks that have access to power that are willing to play the game to be able to help folks. But you've also got to have a Moses as well, too. You got to have somebody on the outside saying, yeah, no, y'all tripping, burn it down and rebuild it and start over. <laughs> and, you know, but they're on the same team. They're that's on the right. same team. They don't have competing values or interests at all. And so I think that's that's the key, the key takeaway that we're all trying to communicate is mm -hmm. if you've got black folks that are doing those things, 
they're on the same thing. I think to Robert's point, which is what Candace is saying as well, too, is like too many times we have been tokenized, right? Like we yeah. have seen, I think uh, Brian Loritz has a book called Right Color, Wrong Culture. And it's mm. a, a narrative story they're talking about. It's a white church neighborhood is um, actually it's reverse gentrification. Like there's diversity that's there. And they're like, we want to be able to hire somebody that's reflective of the community. And they interviewed three black pastors and the illustrations they gave for each of them, they're kind of caricature of it. They were like, one of them was Ice Cube, Ice Don't Code Switch. Never has, never will. Mm. He got one setting. So like that type <laughs> of a pastor only works in like black church settings. Like you like how, if he closes with a hoop, like white people are not going to understand it. Like he's not going right. to be able to translate. The next one they picked was somebody that was kind of analogous to uh, Carlton on Fresh Prince, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, very easy, very palatable to white folks. May or may not resonate with black people at all, right? If you hire their brother and put him on set at a white church, white folks are going to love it. You hire their brother and it's like, he's reflection of all things black. We have questions, right? And that's why we'll <laughs> torment them the whole time on the show. But then the third one they had was like somebody like Denzel Washington. Denzel is himself in every movie Denzel's in. He plays himself, but everybody loves him. And that's the thing, right? It's like, can we get to the place where Candace doesn't have to coast with? She's fully herself in every context she's in. It's himself everywhere he is. I'm my whole self. I ain't got to switch it off. Wait, wait. That analogy was so gold, though. Somebody is driving and somebody's working out and they're going to hear you say this. So they don't have to rewind and go back and hear it again. Man, say, I'm for I know we got to get out of here, but say that again, because that is so powerful. Uh, the band, the book is called Right Color, Wrong Culture by Brian Loritz. And again, like, you know, it's like most books. I don't agree with everything in there, but that illustration is huge. They pick these three black pastors and um, they don't fit for various reasons. That third one finally does. But the illustration that the guy gives when he's narrating it, uh, Ryan Loritz rather has um, the person narrating it's like he got these three pastors. One of them is Ice Cube. And that was like in the book, it's a black pastor that shows up in a piece and chain, three piece suit, rings on every finger. And he closes every sermon with a hoop one Friday on a hill called Calvary. Right? That's not going to work in a white Presbyterian church. They've never heard that before. They think he's choking. <laughs> it's not going to work at all. It ain't going to work. Uh, the next one was a Carlton, right? Carlton from Fresh Prince. Grew up in the suburbs, uh, black family, but still very assimilated to white culture, right? And so white folks would probably love him in some respects. Put him in a black Baptist church. Put him in Wheeler Avenue Baptist Church in Houston, Texas, in the heart of Third World, where I grew up. Carlton ain't going fit there as a staff pastor. He can intern there, but to like lead that church, to be the senior pastor there? No, because his lived experience is different from the folks that live in that zip code. It's not bad or wrong. It's just different. The third one is Denzel Washington. Denzel plays himself in every movie he's in. If he is in Training Day, if he is uh, the Equalizer, if he is uh, a lawyer, uh, whatever, it doesn't matter what it is. Denzel is always himself. And so we need to hire folks and create spaces like that where we don't have to code switch and be fully ourselves. The litmus test, I always say when I do trainings for majority white organizations, if you hire people of color is, uh, do they have to code switch if they're around you? If they say, Mm -hmm. I am 100% different than who I am when I'm in this organization, when I work here, there's a shelf life. Like they Mm -hmm. on their way out. Mm -hmm. It's only a matter of time. They are exhausted. There are microaggressions. If I can't be my full self when I'm here, none of us bring all of who we are. But if I'm like more than 50%, I got to power down in order to be here. And it's just a job. It's just a paycheck. And the moment anybody comes along and says, I will pay you $5 more. (laughs) And you can play spades on Friday. 
I am out like slavery is over. Look here, let me holler at y'all. It's been real. This is, no, I'm done. I'm through. Do you want to do an exit interview? I already got another job. No, that's it. Right. No. <laughs> we through. So that's it. Like, you know, you got to be able to recognize those things. Yeah, man. That's huge. That, that's so real because I, I can, I know, I know all those people. I know Ice, yeah, right. Ice Cube. I know, I know, I know Ice Cube. Yeah. I know Carlton. I got people in my head as you were going through. You, I'm like, yep, you can yep. see them. You can yep. see them. You're like, yep, got it, got it. You there, yep. you there. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. You got it. And that's, that's, why, that's why this one of our missional pieces of Boone emphasizing community is so yeah. important because we need to feel safe to not yep. have to call a switch. We need the freedom to be ourselves. Um, we need the freedom to, to, like I said earlier, to bring our authentic experiences, our authentic struggles, our authentic uh, successes to the table and yep. in, in, in a community, in a safe place where we can actually start um, help moving the needle ourselves within our churches, but also helping others to do the same. So what does that look like within Boone? I'm going to jump in here real quick. You know, like our our, our vision of inclusive community uh, will provide opportunities to engage just on our national network level, on our national network, on our Facebook group. So if you're not in our Facebook group, head over to Facebook and find the Boone community on Facebook or head to the boonecommunity.com where you can have access to our Facebook group, too. Um, right now, we're, we, we've launched our national network on Facebook. But we'll be launching our local networks, local communities in 2024. I'm going to roll that out so we, people can get together with others right in their their area and through all of those spaces, whether it's the Facebook group or within a local level. We're going to have some collaborative conversations where we just engage in some guided conversation, guided discussion around different areas of ministry um, or leadership development. I'm excited about the way that the, the community can come together through Boone for the sake of the next generation. Um, Pervy, Sean, I am so grateful to have you all here with us today on this con. This has been a good conversation. It's been a long one, but it's been a good conversation. No, it would be. When you got your two brothers on here, you already knew it was going to be longer hey, than 45 listen. minutes. Listen. You already knew. Yes, already, yes, Already. Yes. We yep. always got something to say when we get together. <laughs> <laughs> I thank y'all for being here and for sharing. And for my girl, Ashley Johnson, who's in the background. Hey, boo. Appreciate you being there and helping to guide us through this conversation. All right, y'all. All hearts and minds are clean. We're going to end this thing. I will see y'all later. <laughs> Bye. Appreciate it. Y'all take care.